The UK sits at the forefront of a new era in quantum technologies. Over the next decade, these technologies are set to profoundly alter the trajectory of the modern digital economy. Across pivotal markets, such as healthcare, finance, construction, telecommunications and energy, quantum technologies may hold the key to unlocking some of the world's most intractable, complex problems. However, the pace of change in this sphere is rapid, and the decisions that are made over the next few years will define the shape of the UK's quantum industry. In this Tech UK podcast, I sat down with some of the nation's foremost quantum technology experts to determine what needs to be done now to secure a bright quantum future for the UK. To kick off, we were delighted to be joined by Ilana Wisby, CEO of Oxford Quantum Circuits, who took time out of her busy schedule to share insights on OQC's forward-looking approach to commercialising quantum technologies. And finally, to gain an understanding of the UK's quantum research and innovation landscape, we sat down with Roger McKinley, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund Director for Quantum Technologies in the UK. Thank you, Ilana, for coming in today. Uh, We're really thrilled to have you here. Um, Please could you tell us a little bit about your role, your background, and how Oxford Quantum Circuits fits into the UK's quantum technology supply chain? I'm the CEO of Oxford Quantum Circuits, OQC. Um, My background, so my last job, I was a COO at a startup company, still doing a lot of tech, not quite as deep as quantum, um, but AI, bot technology type stuff. Um, Before that, I did a PhD um, in quantum, actually, at the National Physical Laboratories, which is the UK's National Standards Institute. Um, And that was where I learned all the technical stuff. So please could you tell us a little bit about uh, Oxford Quantum Circuits uh, and how it fits into the UK's quantum technology supply chain? Uh, Yeah, sure. So OQC is a quantum computing company. So we build the quantum hardware itself. We are a full systems integrator and our job is to build the core, the heart of the processor, um, and to partner with the best to build the full stack. So in that business area, what are the core engineering challenges facing the UK's quantum industry and your business itself? So across the space, um, generally I would summarise the key engineering challenges as revolving around three core components. So that's scale, quality and control. And whilst you might start to see independently some of those things improving from an engineering capability stance point, achieving all of those three things in parallel um, is one of the key challenges. Uh, So it's not a very technical answer, um, but really actually to do all of those things as a mixture of both physics and engineering at different stages across the full quantum computer. They're kind of at different um, readiness levels um, right now. So thinking about those core engineering challenges uh, that you've just mentioned, scale, quality and control, what is OQC's approach to dealing with these challenges? So OQC span out of the University of Oxford with that core IP. So this is what the core of what we do. Um, and it's a unique quantum bit, which is that, that processing core. And that's been designed with all of those scale, quality and control factors in mind. Um, so this has been designed from first principles to be simple, scalable, flexible, as a device and that ethos carries through everything that we do through the whole stack. Um, So in more technical details, what we've done is removed a lot of the control from that same plane and we've taken it off. So you have this qubit, quantum bit, that's in a very high quality, uninterrupted crystalline environment. 
Um, and that's really the core of what we do. But that concept of, of making sure we as a company remain scalable, remain um, flexible for this kind of the flexibility that we need um, spans across our control software, hardware, right the way through the stack that we develop. Yeah. So contextualizing those sort of challenges um, within your approach to uh, dealing with the deficits of the UK's quantum supply chain, what is your approach to kind of combating those challenges? Mm -hmm. So we certainly are, are building that quantum core. Um, and at each point of the stack, there are different opportunities, um, different components, um, elements to them that, you know, as a company, we have to decide how do we operate within that ecosystem? Is that something we're going to take in-house? Is that something where more European or local or academic partnerships fit? Is that something where we need to start to think about buy decisions? Um, but it's a really rapidly evolving ecosystem. So that's something that as part of our continuous iteration of our road mapping, we're always having to assess like what our best strategy is. So we've spoken a little bit about the challenges, um, but thinking more about the opportunities presented by emerging quantum technologies, how do you see OQC's work converging with other industries and technology markets? I think that's a, a really good question. Um, it kind of separates into two different areas. You can start to think about how it's going to integrate with end users from an end user perspective, in which case, you know, quantum computing is going to change the world and it is going to impact every single market market um, vertical out there. So that's going to have a huge amount of integration piece um, and work to be developed there, um, right the way through from materials um, all the way to data, security. Um, but the other piece of that is how do we start to integrate different technologies within the stack? How do we start to think about what existing infrastructure there is around some of the telecoms, microwave, um, other skills, other components that are useful for also the quantum sector itself and start to kind of upskill and, and mix those things together early. Brilliant. And just to pick up on that skills point, mm. what type of skills do you view as integral to scaling up your business? It's a really good point and it's a topic that's of great discussion is, is skills within the quantum space. Um, at OQC, we're a firm believer in diversity, diversity of skills as well in particular between academic, upskilling academic skills with business, um, the same vice versa. We have a number of um, employees that have got 20, 25 years experience in, in non-quantum industries that we're upskilling with, with quantum, which is really cool. Um, so. I think actually it's more of an education piece and an upskilling piece within that because not every quantum physicist is going to be capable of operating with a, within a quantum startup, right? That's a different mindset. And equally, um, not every engineer is going to be comfortable working within a quantum startup. There's a lot to learn. So that's a gap that um, I think we're bridging pretty well um, internally, but more broadly, um, everybody that's currently working in a number of different sectors could also start to think about how, you know, they're programming, if they are currently doing RF, how could they use their skills within this emerging sector? So just thinking about that point as well. So obviously we know that uh, a lot of industries, uh, other technology markets could potentially adopt quantum technologies in the future. But when should they really begin experimenting with quantum computing resources? now <laughs> yesterday <laughs> it's a hugely disruptive in a good way technology but that means that it's going to be disruptive to their standard 
operations and really companies need to be understanding what that means for them. If they want to be a market leader, if they want to stay ahead to be able to move first in this, they need to understand what the impact of this new technology area is on their business. Um, and engaging early will give them the opportunity to learn that, um, to learn how to integrate with that, but also to identify what quantum computing can actually do for them. Um, so the government call this um, a quantum readiness, there's a quantum readiness program, um, but actually there's a huge amount of um, non-identified problems that we know that quantum computing will likely be able to help solve, but a lot of the businesses, a lot of those potential end users, that future market, don't necessarily even know yet that that's something that's gonna change their world. Um, so communicating early, understanding mutually what it can do, how we can work together early um, is really important. Fantastic. And just to bring it back again to uh, the Quantum Readiness Programme run by uh, the UK government, uh, and then again, thinking more generally in terms of the UK's uh, engagement, uh, adoption and deployment of quantum technologies, how do you how do you see the uh, UK's quantum industry compared to uh, other international players? So the UK has certainly been a leader in this field, um, academically, scientifically, it's fantastic. Um, it's pioneered with a government programme, um, early kind of industry adoption of that, and the world has turned to the UK and said, what are you doing with your quantum programmes? So that is fantastic. Um, however, there is a real risk now where we need to start converting a lot of that academic and initial scientific work through to commercial um, and industrial outputs um, and of course this kind of area is you know capital intensive um, it needs um, a lot of, of money it's quite unique in that it's a super high risk high reward typically longer time scale opportunity so finding the right places to get that kind of investment and support for this technology is an area that um, is a little bit concerning. And whilst the UK has pioneered this and is positioning itself incredibly well to start with, we're now starting to see, you know, that maybe falling back behind because other countries are throwing more money at this and other areas um, of investment have a bit more of a high risk appetite for this kind of stuff than maybe the UK and Europe do. So it is a really unique area presents unique challenges um, and there are has to be unique solutions to make sure that that capability and that industry and that initial pioneering leadership that the UK has in that is maintained. Great and so how do you see uh, the future of the UK's industry and how do you see uh, industry collaborating uh, across different technology sectors, uh, across different uh, high-value technology markets and is there a need to develop a more coherent industry voice for quantum technology? So I certainly see a world where quantum computing is integrated across you know, all of those different areas. Um, having a centre point and having um, a more coherent language, um, I do think is really important. This is something I have um, actually been talking about for quite some time, simply because when we started engaging with say, some of the quantum software companies, we were using different language and we weren't aligned on the language that we were, do we were using. Um, and it, 
at that point we thought, well, if we can't, if we'd both have different definitions of what, say, a circuit model is, you know, for us that's something very practical, for them that's something very mathematical. How can we as an industry communicate coherently externally to start voicing and to really bring people on board with this story? So I think there's multiple elements to that. Communication, a glossary of, of agreed language, agreed terms within the sector, for sure, and benchmarking kind of comes into that. How do we compare? How do we articulate things effectively? Um, and that's not um, a small task. Um, but then also, how do we start to engage um, with those people without that, um, without the need to overcomplicate, without the need to use a lot of the technical um, language? Because if you know quantum, um, you can start to get into a lot of the technical details very quickly and a lot of people are really excited and inspired by that. Um, but it is also a barrier to entry with communication and engaging with people who it can impact the most. So we do need to find a way to, um, to yeah, tell our story. Brilliant. I think that's a really good point to end on. And uh, thank you again uh, for coming in. Um, we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Great, thank you so much for having me. In this segment, we'll look at the government's challenges to industry and research communities as it aims to strengthen the UK's global leadership in the development and application of quantum technologies. So we're delighted to be joined by Roger McKinley today. Roger, welcome. Thank you. Um, perhaps we could start by uh, you providing a quick introduction to yourself and your role at the UKRI. Well, well, I'm what is called a challenge director, which I have to explain to people is I'm not supposed to be challenging, but I'm supposed to direct a challenge. So I think a lot of people would call this a uh, program director of the ISCF Quantum Challenge. Uh, the challenges are programs where we're spending public money to achieve some very specific things. And the, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund is, uh, is really aimed at, amongst other things, increasing uh, the percentage of GDP we spend in the UK on R&D. So it's a portfolio of activities and of a quantum challenges is a significant program within that program of challenges. Uh, my background, though, I'm not a quantum physicist. I'm an engineer and I've spent uh, pretty well all of my career in industry, uh, particularly in aerospace and the defense industries. Excellent. So you work quite closely with the National Quantum Technologies Program. Could you please explain for our listeners what you think the overarching purpose of that programme is? Well, it's a debate as to whether I work closely or whether, or whether I am it and part of it. The programme is, is actually a really good example, possibly the best example we've got of coordinated spend across government. So it's not a single budget, so there isn't, if you like, a single programme director, but partners which include EPSRC, STFC, Innovate UK, NPL, the MOD and GCHQ, and I think I've, I've covered the, the main ones there, uh, have, have agreed to work together, not just in a show-and-tell sense, but in planning their future spend into an integrated programme. So alongside my colleagues in EPSRC, um, the, the ISCF part makes up a, a key part of that programme. And the programme was originally conceived and still is aiming to really make sure that the UK uh, prospers in terms of both prosperity and, if you like, security from the head start we got in quantum technologies from having outstanding science in the, in the country. So this is our leading universities who are world class 
And the programme was conceived uh, five or six years ago now to absolutely capitalise on that and make sure we turned that intellectual horsepower into what is good for the economy and good for jobs in the UK in what is an emerging, uh, I would say, sector on quantum, but it's not a sector as, as you and I might think of sectors. It's a very broad enabling technology which is going to change all walks of life. So thinking specifically about how the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund uh, for quantum technologies is directly supporting the government's ambitions to increase R&D investment into quantum. How does that work on the ground? Well, on the ground, I think it, you have to start thinking of the ISCF, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund, as being a portfolio of programmes covering many, many different areas, including construction, electric vehicles, medicine. So uh, it, it covers the whole gamut. And uh, quantum technologies is an essential part of that in the portfolio, I think partly because of its newness. It's also what people are increasingly calling hard tech. Um, it's not just about investing in some bright people with ideas. There, there are totally new technologies, materials, processes, manufacturing to be mastered here. It means it's actually probably a, a long-term ambition, particularly in the field of quantum computing, which is particularly challenging. But of course, with that long-term thinking comes the, the prospects of serious benefits as well. So I would say it, it's, a, it's a big long-term technology project, which if I were putting together an ISCF programme of programmes, I would think such a programme be an essential part. And it's, it's actually exploiting what the UK is really good at, which is world-class science in a, in a very, very strong entrepreneurial culture. So thinking about the UK's research excellence, and you mentioned there uh, the skills and talent that are required to take uh, quantum projects to the next phase, how can the UK tangibly improve its quantum skills and knowledge base to benefit these projects long term? This is a, a very difficult one, the skills question, because it has to be handled slightly differently in every in industry. So, for example, if you think of a nuclear industry, if you want to build a nuclear reactor in the UK, you will be hard pushed to find people who were in senior management positions the last time we built one. And that is a genuine skills gap which you have to invent a way through. Quantum's very new, so there's a mixture of what I would call skills and talent. So let's talk about the talent. Uh, you will need to encourage and attract and retain absolutely world-class academics. And we're being very good at that, but we're also losing a few. So how the, the talent management is absolutely essential in this business. And, and that importance will gradually and is gradually moving out of universities to the sort of talent which are starting new companies in the UK. Now, I don't mind a UK startup being bought by an overseas company, but I do mind if it then gets moved overseas. So, um, so the talent is essential and a talent, of course, attracts more talent. In terms of skills, I think we're still wrestling with this one. It's rather easy to stuff a queue in front of everything and say, I used to need systems engineers, now I need quantum systems engineers. It's not that uh, simple. What we're actually moving into is, is, is almost a heavy engineering phase in terms of fabrication, in terms of building quantum devices. Uh, and so we've actually uh, got to encourage, I think, serious engineering skills, system engineering, engineering in the specifics of the components, engineers who are experts in integration, and engineers who know how about scale up and manufacturing. So that is a side we have to address. We then got to, to broaden out and say it's not just about 
for example, what we're already doing very successfully, centres of doctoral training, but there must be a place for technician-level skills as well. And, um, and that is something which I think will need government support and money, but you've got to decide what you want first. Uh, deciding what you want is very much down to listening uh, to industry and finding out what the pull is. And, and I always remind people, having come from industry, that industry finds it very difficult to cope with a shock change. So if you suddenly wake up one day and want more engineers than the universities can produce, uh, then actually you've got a problem. I think on quantum we're going to see some of that, but a lot of it will be a steady pull for a new sort of skill. And it's really important that we actually attach that steady pull as companies grow. Um, we, we, we attach that to the people who know how to retrain people and also the people who are running fundamental courses like undergraduate engineering courses to be able to meet that new demand. So you mentioned there just uh, the importance of retaining UK talent. Uh, especially in the context of growing international demand for quantum skills and knowledge. How does a UK organisation do that in practicality? It's difficult. I think you need to start from two ends. One end says, of course, the opportunities in the UK are superb. Uh, the way government and industry and academia collaborate is superb. That's actually what the quantum programme has been about. And you can kid yourself that really bright people will recognise the benefits of that and will stay whatever happens, all right? That's one view, which I don't think is quite right. The other is, oh, it's a market. You know, it's always going to go to the highest bidder. We can't offer as much as the US, for example, therefore we'll lose people. Uh, in the middle, of course, is reality, which is that an academic in the UK leading in quantum um, might want to stay in the UK even if they were offered twice as much in the US, but not if they were offered three times as much. So um, people have talked about war chests, people have talked about uh, uh, retention mechanisms for these top academics, and that's actually what, what government and academia are good at. But I think you need to recognise the problem and how serious it is. And with several colleagues, uh, I was on a, a mission uh, to the US at the end of last year, and we spoke to the Googles and others, and we got one view, which was, we just love what you're doing in the UK and your programme it almost gives us a list of who to pick off next. So that's, for, that's reality. Let's recognise it and, and say it is a very real problem. And to some extent, the solution does have to lie with money. So just bring it back to the UK's uh, quantum industry. How integral are end user considerations to the success of quantum product lines and services? Well, absolutely essential, I think, is the simple answer. Uh, with an industry background, uh, I can think of decades of being approached with people who have very good ideas, which I've got no need for whatsoever. <laughs> and that's because uh, they probably haven't understood uh, the nature of my job or what my company does or the problems I'm trying to fix. So you do need an element of industry pull. And right from the start, this was the national program was a commercialising quantum technologies program. So the hubs, the academic hubs we established, worked with companies and were led by companies and what they wanted to address. It wasn't just uh, uh, interesting research which might have an output. And of course, with the ISCF side now, we've, we've been much more specific and say we will fund uh, collaborating groups of, of, of organisations, but they have to be industry-led in our CR&D projects in particular. So 
we've got end users addressed right from the start. Remember, the end user um, could actually be the next person in the supply chain. So some of the attractiveness of this technology might be, if you like, uh, it is integratable or can be scaled up easily. And that might be uh, of interest to someone who's putting a, a solution or a service together. It doesn't actually mean having the, the person who's going to have it in their hands. It certainly doesn't mean it's all got to end up in a smartphone. It's not that sort of technology. So uh, so we're, we're, we are very, very keen to involve end users. But just remember, we're also market making so there's a joke about a guy who wanted to build a bridge across a fjord in Norway because he was sick of walking 30 miles around the end um, to, uh, to get to the, his other field. And his bank manager said, you need to do a, a business case. Count how many people are currently swimming across. All right. Uh, there, there are markets out there, there are uses of this technology. We have yet to dream up. So there, there is a place for having demonstrators, having the technology. And some end users won't say, I need that. They'll actually say, good heavens, I didn't know that was possible. So I wouldn't go all the way to saying, if you can't find someone to, to, to drag you along and be industry-led, don't follow. You have to recognize there are also some new markets and new ideas to be had here. Excellent. So in your position, you have oversight of uh, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund for Quantum. And that gives you an insight to the different types of quantum ventures that are emerging around the UK. Do you have any particular perspective on where the UK's comparative advantage in quantum technology lies? The science is essential. Uh, one of my, my colleagues, uh, when talking to a, a government minister, said you have to understand there's a 30-year story here as well as a five-year story. And that is how you have to start the conversation. We're talking about very long-term investments for some applications, not all applications of quantum. Uh, and so we, you've got to look to the education system. You've got to say, are our schools and our universities capable of providing people who are clever enough to make a success of this? And I know it sounds elitist, but with difficult stuff, that's where it all starts. So that's a huge advantage. I think the entrepreneurial culture we have is superb. I've been really impressed with the calibre of people who are starting up companies and putting their, their uh, total energies into uh, developing the technologies and developing business opportunities. So companies like River Lane and Oxford Quantum Circuits, young companies run by very, very enthusiastic, talented people uh, is absolutely essential part of the ecosystem. Where we're struggling, to be honest, is, is, is the long-term investors. Uh, I'm not criticising the VC community because VCs do what VCs do. There are other instruments we've seen, uh, for example, the British Business Bank uh, in, for example, the Seraphim Capital Fund on the space side. So there's many, many flavours of investment and there's many, many ways governments can encourage investment and governments themselves have a part to play in that long-term investment story. But we're not winning at the moment in the UK. We appear to be... The numbers seem to show that we're at a disadvantage to the culture in the US, whereas we have people starting companies here who are struggling to get that level of investment. So uh, it's a very, very, uh, actually two out of three ain't bad. Uh, let's just fix that third one and we'll be in a very strong position. So now thinking finally about uh, what you just mentioned, actually, the long-term investment strategy of the UK uh, and the policy frameworks underpinning the development of the UK's quantum ecosystem. 
We've seen recently that uh, the National Quantum Computing Centre has recently been set up. So I'm just uh, intrigued to see what you think uh, the future role of the NQCC will be uh, moving forward. Yes, the National Quantum Computing Centre is probably the first uh, investment in infrastructure that we've been looking at on the quantum side. And it's, it's up and running as a project, as you say. It, it's still going through certain approval gates, but it does have an, a, an interim leadership team appointed, which is absolutely essential uh, that we get the people with the vision and the ability and the understanding of the technology involved from the project right from the start. I, I would say it's essential because of this phenomenon I've called hard tech. Uh, which is that not all ideas just require bright people and a bit of money to make happen. That, if you like, was the dot-com experience. Uh, this actually requires some serious capital investment in, for example, if you're doing superconducting uh, qubits, uh, the, the dilution fridge is needed to get you down to a few millikelvins. So th this is not going to be done by a few people in a shed. Uh, and the buildings you need, uh, a very good example is the Beecroft building in Oxford, where they... The, uh, the computing hub is based, need to have certain facilities to, for you to be able to, to, to master the control of these quantum states, which is at the heart of the devices we're trying to develop. So the NQCC quite rightly is an investment in a building. It's not a virtual centre, it's a real centre. Uh, and there are many reasons for having that. Uh, one is, of course, there is a, with a new technology like this, there is a uh, a sovereign capability, and there's a real sovereign capability in the UK in terms of quantum, and you might actually have control to access a certain parts of that building as well in the future, depending on what work was going on. Uh, but it is not, uh, if you like, a, a secret institution hidden behind a fence um, with, with uh, nothing but defence work going on. It is going to have to interact with business because we can't actually move this forward on, uh, on public money alone. So it's, it's, a, it's a real facility. Uh, the building is, is what actually is needed in a way of building is still being looked at at the moment. But it is a place where uh, machines will be integrated of, of various sizes. I expect to see several different technologies working there. I wouldn't think we're just going to back one horse on terms of technologies. I expect to see many different sorts of companies and academic institutions making use of those facilities. Now, that's for future. There's no reason why, to some extent, that cannot start now in the sense that uh, as we're planning that, we've got some expertise which is looking at what role that might play in future projects, and uh, they may well find themselves in a position to start encouraging some of that work to start before there's actually a building in place. So it's, um, that's the great advantage of actually having a national programme. Uh, this, this hasn't grown up in competition. It hasn't been a tangential idea which happens to have met us. It's deeply rooted in why we launched the national programme. And uh, as we feel our way forward and look at the business model for the centre as well as physically what it is, I think it will uh, have been a very, very wise early move to, uh, to encouraging what is probably the most dis difficult aspect of quantum technology, which is the, the grown-up computing side. I think the last thing to remember there, of course, is that government is a very possible customer of that work. Uh, we, we tend to forget this, but when you're doing very difficult things which have sig significant strategic importance, then actually uh, those are services which quite often governments want to use, not just encourage as part of the economy. Great. I think that's a really good uh, point to end on. Fascinating insights from you today, Roger. So thanks again for coming in. It's been a pleasure.
Thanks for listening to this Tech UK podcast on quantum technologies. If you would like to learn more about the work ongoing at Tech UK in this sphere, then please feel free to get in touch. Also make sure to look out for our upcoming quantum future report, which assesses the state of the UK's industry and the cross-sector steps that need to be taken to build a brighter future for the UK.